Today we have Kavita Barataki on the show. Are you looking to provide added value to other syndicators and passive investors? Kavita is an inspiration to those looking to provide added value. She's invested in 12 multifamily deals, two land development deals, and one build-to-rent deal. Kavita believes in having a creative mind, being authentic, and doing what works for you. Before we jump into the intro, if you have interest in learning how to invest passively, check out my five-step process for passively investing in real estate. You can download it for free by going to darrenbatchelder.com backslash learn and then select the free PDF. Now, on to the intro. Welcome to Darren Batchelder's Real Estate Investing Show. Each week, you will learn how to grow your wealth through real estate investing, be introduced to the players that are getting it done, and learn how you can get involved. And now, here's your host, Darren Batchelder. A little background on Kavita Barataki before we start the show. Kavita lives in the Austin area. She spent 20 years in corporate America and found financial freedom from real estate investing. She wasn't sure where she wanted to focus, but she found her way when she surrounded herself with like-minded people. She now loves teaching others how to get involved. Now, on to the show. Hello, everyone. Today, we have a very special guest with us here today. We've got Kavita Baratake. Kavita, appreciate you coming on the show. Thank you for having me, Darren. Today, we both both, both learned how to pronounce each other's last names, so that was good. Yes, <laughs> we, we did that before we hit record. We were, we were both sharing how to pronounce each other's last name. That's funny. Um, so I hope that I didn't butcher it, but um, in any event... Hey, uh, I wanted to share a little bit on how we know each other and then, then we'll get into it. So um, Kavita and I know each other. We're both part of the same multifamily mentorship group, um, Brad Sumrock group out of Dallas. And, um, you know, met some fantastic people through that group. And um, Kavita is one of them. And uh, when I was doing my first syndication deal, she, you know, she was investing in different properties and she was just getting going and she's been off to the races ever since. I see her all over the place on social media. I see her at different conferences. She's speaking on stage. This girl's just on fire. So I'm very interested in hearing what she's got going on. So with that said, how many properties and how many units are you currently invested in? So um, I'd say about 15 properties right now. That's where I am. But that said, I don't have all in multifamily, about 12 in multifamily across 2,000 plus units. And I'm doing two land development deals and also one land development plus uh, a BTR uh, construction deal. So So BTR, I I know what it is, but can you... Share with the listeners what BTR stands for. It's built to rent um, or built, built, to built rent. for rent. It's called BTR, BFR, depending on who you, where you hear it. Essentially what it is, is a hybrid between single family and multifamily. So you can think about it as 
one level multifamily where you essentially have a pool of single family homes, um, maybe a smaller footprint single family home, but it's the entire complex is rented. So it's not sold. It operates as one unit. That's fantastic. So that's been in a short time. I mean, when I first met you, it was probably three, three and a half years ago. And, mm-hmm. and you've been busy, girl. I have. I have. A <laughs> lot's been going on. <laughs> so it's, it's been good. It's been great. It's been a lot of learning. It's been a lot of growth, um, just connecting with the right partners. So it's, it's just, yeah, I've been blessed. I think every day I do this gratitude journal and I say, hey, I'm grateful for the opportunities that are coming my way and the right people that I feel like I really enjoy being around. It's not just doing deals. It's about who you're um, spending your time with. Right. And I love the people I'm working with. You know, can you share with us a little bit about your background before you got into real estate investing? What, what were you doing? I think you were in it, but Mm -hmm. you know, give me, um, and the listeners a little bit more perspective on what your background was. Sure. Yeah. Just like uh, every Indian, you know, I was stereotyped, cast into an IT role. Uh, hey, I don't think you can say say that. <laughs> well, you know, a lot of Indians are in IT. So we we carry that, uh, you know, when you walk in, you're like, oh, are you in IT or your doctor or your dentist? You know, it's kind of like limited. Or, enge- or engineering. Or engineer. Or engineering. Sort, right. Right. Engineer, yeah, yeah, right. Yeah. So uh, I was technically an engineer, a software engineer. Um, I came to the country to do my master's in 98 and I just stayed. I worked um, in corporate for about 20 years, uh, 19 years to be precise, but I also worked in India for a year before I came. So overall, my corporate career was 20 years long across three companies, one in India and two here, IBM and Atlassian here. So. Um, that's kind of where I started. And of course, like all of us, we have, uh, have a second career now in real estate. I transitioned slowly, uh, initially it was single family homes, then apartments, then I got in and, you know, yeah, it's been land and all these new things are coming up. So. That's, that's fantastic. Are you full-time now in real estate or are you yeah, still yeah, yeah. working no. at W2? No, yeah. I've been full-time since 2019. So three years now I've been full-time. I quit, um, I did my first GP, like general partner, for those of you who don't know what a GP is, essentially the person on the other side of the deal actually putting the deal together. So I did that first one as a co-GP on a, on a deal in Atlanta and then after that, the minute I saw that, okay, I just needed to understand what is next for me. I had already financially freed myself thanks to my um, portfolio of single family plus apartments. Uh, I was passively investing in apartments three years before that, right? So it just gave me enough leeway and say, hey, I have enough passive income. I didn't replace my tech job by my, any means. My tech job was paying pretty well. But the way I looked at it was it replaced the income I needed for day-to-day expenses. So I'm like, what do I have to lose at this point, right? I go all in and focus on um, real estate versus trying to do a full-time job, trying to kind of multitask, be a, I'm a single parent. So it was just too much on my plate. So I decided I'm going to jump all in and see what happens. <laughs> so... That's fantastic. You say you jumped all in, but you did take a few steps before 
before that. You said you were passively investing um, mm-hmm. before. Correct. So you, you know, did that help you learn the business a little bit and Absolutely. help you uh, make that decision to go all in? Absolutely. I, 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 I passively invested for a couple of years before. Uh, obviously, it taught me the business. I went to a lot of these apartments I was investing in. I was looking at underwriting. Um, I was not only investing passively, but I was also on a hunt for my own little apartment complex. So the goal of a uh, goal when I joined the Samra Group was I'm going to buy my own 20, 30, whatever unit apartment and. I wanted to sell these single family homes and essentially 1031 and into apartments because I just yeah. thought it was a logistical headache to own these homes. They were just all over the place. Uh, but the fact is I never sold any of them, which is not a bad thing. <laughs> <laughs> Looking at the way you still, the you still haven't been. sold any of them. Nope. You I'm, still own them all. So I, I, I own every house I've literally bought. I sold one that I actually lived in because of the whole primary residence, no taxes thing. But besides that, every single home I bought, I actually kept. And after COVID, I was like, that's not been such a bad thing. <laughs> you know, a single family yeah, homes have done right. really, really well. So I, I don't think I regret that. But Looking back, I really wanted to get out of the single family home business and get into apartments. And my goal was, I'm going to find this 20 unit in San Antonio. So I spent most of 2017 and 2018, especially looking for that apartment. But I could just, things never came together. You know, people always talk about getting frustrated, trying to do deals. And I'm like, hey, the frustration's real. I went through it. <laughs> I went through it for two and a half, almost a year and a half, I'd say. The first part of 2017, I just was learning. And then I started looking and looking. And 2018, I spent most of the time looking. But 2019, I had just given up. I said, uh, uh, what I thought was expensive was no longer expensive, right? You know, you saw the prices going up every single day. So, and I think part of it was the fear of pulling the trigger because, you know, real estate, stock market, we all see market cycles. And the fear going in was how long will the cycle last, right? We had already come to what, uh, nine, almost from 2010 till 19, it was a bull run in real estate. So I'm like, it can last forever. There needs to be a dip. You know, we're all sitting there anticipating a dip. So I think part of it was just that fear of pulling the trigger, buying it too high and all of that stuff. So of course, in retrospect, that never happened. And things, you know, um, in, you know, retrospect, everything is in hindsight is 2020. You don't know what you don't know. So I feel like I took the best decision I could. And um, met someone in uh, one of the events. Uh, they asked me to come into their deal. They felt like, hey, you can do this uh, because you have good connections. You can talk to people. Why don't you come uh, into our team for this deal? And I said, I'm going to try. I don't know. I don't ever, I didn't ever want to be a GP. I just wanted to buy my own apartment, but I'm going to try it out. So I did that and then I realized it just really came easy to me. I wasn't really struggling. I was actually enjoying the process, um, especially being on the capital side of things. So I said, hey, this is it. You know, this is what I enjoy doing. So I really needed that to know what I'd be doing to quit my job. I just didn't want to quit on like, okay, I'm just going to quit and not know what I'm going to do with my time and I'm going to figure it out. So for me, I 
needed some sort of certainty there. Like, okay, what is it that I'll be focusing on? But once I got that, I just, I just ran with it. That's fantastic. Because you speak a lot. You talk to a lot of people at conferences. You know, for the listener's benefit, how do you inspire people to take that first step, even though you are scared? Yeah, I think uh, fear is never going to go away. No matter what you do, like something new you do, uh, you're always going to step outside my com- your comfort zone. So I feel like whatever step you take, it needs to be a little calculated. See, I'm not a reckless person. I just didn't go quit. And I was like, okay, we're homeless or, you know, we don't have food or whatever. Right? <laughs> I, it wasn't even just that I was banking on my reserves. I did have some cash flow coming in. And I, I did the math and I said, okay, even if I have to live a little lean for a few months, I know that I have the potential as a person to make that money. And if not, guess what? There are plenty of tech jobs out there. I'll give it a year. If it's not for me, I'll, I'll go back to a tech job. So I did have that backup plan. So I feel like as long as you've sorted out, okay, how are you going to support yourself over that time you're going in full time? What are you have a goal in mind, right? Like, what are you hoping to achieve? And then also have a backup plan. What if it fails? How long are you going to wait before you give up? Right. And I feel like what some of those are just, I mean, Yes, there'll be fears. There were fears, right? 2020 happened right after a year I quit and there was everything was shut down March, April, May. So I did have fears. I called a friend and said, do you think I should be looking for jobs? You know, it's plain and simple. For three months, I've been sitting at home and I felt a little scared that, okay, I had quit a perfectly good job at that time. And he said, no, this is where you're meant to be, stay on, you know? So, so, so I think you need support of people who believe in you. I think that's been very critical for me. I'm, I'm grateful. I still, you know, send a, a note of gratitude to my friend for keeping me on course because there are going to be challenges. There are going to be setbacks. Maybe it's not COVID, maybe it's something else, right? So as long as, I feel like as long as your heart is in it and you know when you're dedicated and you're passionate about something, And I felt like every day um, for the first few months when I quit, I did have this adjustment phase, I'd say, because let's say you're a person who's been working 40 years of your life, literally you've come through school, 12 years of school, four years of college, two years of grad school, uh, 20 years of career. And then suddenly, what? (laughs) That's a long time. Right. It was just like, oh, my God, like I've just been going and going, and going all my life. And suddenly I'm like, I can walk my daughter to her bus stop. I can walk the dogs in the morning. So it was just having this adjustment phase of is this what I want for myself? So I think you have to be prepared for all those shocking things. But I think shock is a good thing, right? Like it, it wakes you up. It it makes you really appreciate things you haven't done much of. And you've just been on this roller coaster the whole time. So I, I, I felt like a lot of good things. I felt that that period of stillness made me very creative and kind of set me up for what I was going to do next, right? Slowly but surely, I realized, hey, I'm really good at branding and marketing. You know, it just comes to me and I, I feel like I know what to do next. Um, and Sometimes it's just like, okay, you throw it on the wall, see what sticks. I tried a few things. It didn't work very well. 
then I backtracked and I tried out the things. So that worked out really well. So it's, it's a matter of just trying different things and seeing what works for you. So when people ask me about marketing or branding and building investor database, or whatever that is, I say there is no one right way to do it. What's my way might not be your way. I mean, I, I did a lot of webinars. I, I focused so much on investor education uh, that it was very gratifying for me. I was learning a lot because I was bringing all these guest speakers. And I'm sure you feel the same way doing all these podcasts and hearing people's stories and the things that, I mean, you feel like you, your life is enriched in a, in a big way, right? So I felt like I learned so much just doing that. But then people ask me, oh, I'm not comfortable in front of doing a webinar. Should I be doing it? I said, no, it doesn't matter. If you're comfortable picking up a phone and talking to an investor, that's what you do. You play to your own strengths, not to... Uh, not there is no one size fits all here, right? Like I have a colleague, he works with me on some deals and he's really good at one-on-one with people. He's built a small network, but his, his network is such that they invest in every deal with him, right? There's so much loyalty there. There is a bigger dollar paycheck, dollar amount there. So I don't feel like there is one way of doing what we do, which is syndicating or getting money together or doing deals. There's always multiple ways and you just have to find what plays to your strengths as a person. I, th- I think that that's extremely well said. And, and I believe wholeheartedly in what you said. I want to touch upon a few things that you, you brought up. And one was, you know, having a goal in mind, you know, I think that that's very important, you know, um, Somebody had told me a story about, imagine if you go to an airport and you walk up to the, the lady at the, the counter and she says, you know, can I help you? Where do you want to go? And you say, I don't know. <laughs> like, just give me a ticket. Right. And like that always sticks in my head because they, they said like, that's like not setting goals. If you don't know where you want to go, then how can people help you get there? Right. So for the listeners benefit, you know, look, each one of us has this little nudge, this little gut feeling inside that's telling you that you're either in the right place or you're not in the right place. And um, if you're not in the right place, you need to take action to try to do something about that. And, um, you know, Kavita did that. And what happens, what I learned from a lot of people, what happens to a lot of people is, the first step doesn't always end up being where you land. Like you ended up going, you started with passive investments. Then you went looking for, you joined a group, but your goal was to buy a small deal to sell your single families into that. But then an opportunity came your way to become a co-sponsor, a GP on a larger deal. And you tried it out and you actually found like, you know what? I enjoy this, mm-hmm. you know, and it's, you know, it's financially lucrative as well. So I applaud you for, for doing that. And I think that that happens a lot is that sometimes you take a step and then something happens and you pivot. But if you don't take that first step, 
you know, typically the next one doesn't present itself. Right. Absolutely. I think what you said is like you hit the nail on the head, right? Like people hesitate with the first step because there's so much uncertainty on so much unknown that they're stepping into, but they just want to see, yes, we want to have a goal of where you want to be, but you're not going to get there day one, right? You're not going to know how you're going to get there even, right? You just know that you want to get right. there. And as you take that first step, more opportunities kind of present itself. If you feel like, again, feeling like in your, in your gut, I mean, 100%. Like, I couldn't agree with that more. Um, I always say I read this book called The Alchemist. I'm sure people have talked about it. Oh, yeah. Uh, great, great book. Amazing Read book. that book if you haven't read it. Yes. It's great. The Alchemist. The yep. Alchemist that was, it's awesome. Yeah. So the first time I read it, Darren, actually, I did not understand it at all, like, I just wasn't receptive. I was like, okay, it's a story. It's this guy, it's the shepherd, you know, he's trying to find something, whatever, right? I didn't read much beyond the superficial into that story, but the I think in different points in my life, I was I had a different level of maturity and ability to actually absorb what was said to me. So they say, you know, uh, when the t- student is ready or the teacher master appears or whatever, right? So I never really saw everything in that book until I was ready to grasp everything. And so for me, that book was sort of this, like, I knew in my heart that I wasn't feeling good about where I was. Um, I was doing this job. It was paying well, uh, stock options, all of that stuff. But I wasn't waking up excited about it. I wasn't. It was just this nagging like, oh, my God, I have to go through with this. Right. So for me, that had to change. And I had tried changing jobs, all of that stuff, right? People have gone from one place to another, hoping that feeling will change and they'll be more excited about something. And I think that's the feeling which is telling you to do something about it, right? Not to just push away. And I felt like even when I took the first step, it wasn't exciting. It was just this co-GP thing. It was exciting, yes. But then I quit my job and I was like, okay, what am I going to do next? There is this fear and uncertainty and not such a good feeling for initially, but you (laughs) have to push past it, right? You have to keep pushing past it and going, once you have that goal, you're pushing past that fear and uncertainty and heading in a direction that I'm like, okay, this is my goal. I'm just going to keep doing these things. And if this doesn't work, I'll try something else. So there is the certain uncertainty that you have to go through before you become, and when you land a place like the second step, let's say, and you land it and you feel like, oh my God, this feels good. I know I'm in the right place. And I have also landed in places which hasn't felt good and I walked away from it. So since then, I've relied so much on my gut, uh, heart, whatever you want to call it, Be let your heart be the guide. And I walked away from people, from deals, from things which looked very lucrative to me from a financial standpoint. But I felt in my heart that something wasn't right or I didn't feel comfortable. So right now, I think I've gotten really good at listening to my heart and my gut. So I think that that is something that everybody should think about, because once you feel that, it's a nice feeling inside. You know, you're aligned to whatever your purpose is. You're aligned to whatever, wherever you're supposed to be. I truly believe that. That's huge. And, you know, you started on a journey really more for, for you, right? I mean, for you to, you know, maybe 
make your single family investments more manageable by selling those and finding a, you know, 32 unit. But what you, where you ended up and what I see you do now, like you, it's not just about Kavita. I mean, you say now like, okay, I'm invested in over 2000 units and like, it's nothing. Right. But when you go back three, four years ago, you probably couldn't ever have imagined that you'd be where you are now. But where I see your focus now is really in serving others. You know, it's your website to educate other people on passive investing. It's bringing other investors into deals. It's, you know, speaking. Like, talk to us about the first time you were asked to speak on stage. I mean, was that something that just came natural? Uh, I wouldn't say natural. I think a lot of my, um, the good thing about my tech career was the last job I had before I quit it put me in a lot of uncomfortable places. So I was in front of clients all the time and talking about products I really didn't know <laughs> and walking into a room where I felt like I knew the least of everybody in that room, but I had to be the authority. So I think that in a sense prepared me for a lot of discomfort being in front of people and talking about things I necessarily didn't know as much. And when I fell into real estate and actually knew, talking about it was easy, right? Because now you're coming from a place where it's like, hey, I've been through hell talking about things I don't really know very well and still, you know, uh, facing questions, facing the audience. So for me, I felt like being in a place where I felt like I was the authority when I'm talking to investors was fairly a simpler process. That said, of course, we all have um, public speaking issues. So one of the things I did do, and I feel like I really need to go back to, was do Toastmasters. Uh, amazing group of people. Toastmasters? Yes. Amaz really? Amazing group of people. Really people you connect with and you really see your own because, you know, people will say, ah, you said so many ums, ahs, and, you know, they're counting all that stuff. But it's really... I know I still probably use a lot of filler words because I've been out of Toastmasters since the pandemic. One of the reasons I joined the Postmasters is I went back to IBM and joined their Toastmasters because I just felt like I was stuck at home working all the time and I really needed to go out and meet people on a regular basis. So that took me out of the house every, every week and also, of course, helped what I was doing, which was doing webinars with people, talking in front of an audience. So it loosened me up to the extent that I feel like I rely more on talking from my heart right now and not over, not being in my head. And I think that's what slows people down is like they're in their head so much and there's so much fear in that head <laughs> that it really prevents us from talking yeah. what we really feel. I'm having a conversation. It doesn't matter whether I'm on the stage where I'm in front of a computer, I'm still having a conversation and I'm talking about something that I know and I'm sharing it with people. So that kind of alleviates a lot of anxiety about speaking in an audience to, for me. That, that's great. And I, I mean, I think, and I don't know if you've had this experience, but I think that it also comes with, you know, you, you mentioned the word, you know, getting uncomfortable and, you know, uh, having to speak about things that you, were, you didn't necessarily know everything about in, initially. Um, but as you do it more, so, you know, you probably... 
the first time you're probably nervous and the second time you're nervous, but not as much as the first time. And then, you know, and then you may stay, stay nervous, but like you always know that they're, you're at the end, people end up giving you positive feedback. And, and so it's all worth it. But I think that what happens with you, you know, a lot of people, when they first get into real estate investing, they can't see it. They can't see that, you know, your success is not only going to help you financially, but it's also going to put you in a position to teach others. Yeah. And so I think there's a major ripple effect. Mm -hmm. So you have your network. You're just trying to figure out how to do it yourself. You figure it out. And then all of a sudden you start talking on stage. I believe you have a YouTube channel. Mm -hmm. You know, you, you have all this education on your website and now you're starting to educate other people. And then, you know, one or two or three or four or five of those people may go do the same thing and start educating their network. Absolutely. And so that, that it's fantastic. Um, so talk a little bit about your education platforms, your, you know, what do, what do you ha- offer on your website and YouTube channel? Sure. Uh, so education has always been my focus since I started. I felt like one of the things I want to talk about this because I did go to brought some rock, you know, went to Dallas every month. We all were there and it was great to network with people. All of that stuff was good. But from a passive perspective, I didn't feel like I needed to be so committed, right, to go somewhere. So one of the goals when I started my education was how can I condense that information I learned in the Sumrock group without people having to come somewhere, pay a bunch of money and actually learn, right? How can I bring it to them? So I always focused on that initially, whether it was just learning about apartment investments or I even invited people with multiple asset classes, right? Frank Rolf came and talked about mobile home parks. I had a CPA come talk about the tax advantages of real estate. So I felt like to be a well-rounded investor, you not only need to understand that asset class that you're investing in, but also understand the implications from a taxation, asset protection, and other standpoints. So in my head, I was trying to plug the gaps of where I felt like I didn't know enough and also where I felt like I wish somebody had taught me this without going through two years to learn this stuff. Right. So I was trying to condense that information. So that was my goal when I started and it continues to be, of course. Uh, And that's kind of where my YouTube channel is going is that how can I assimilate all this information that I have learned over the last 12 years, more than 12 years now. um, But how can I assimilate that and put it out there for people to consume? Um, also how can I shorten the process for them, right? They don't have to go through as much to learn. Uh, that of course has evolved into, uh, me talking to people instead of talking to people one-on-one and, and as a business owner, right? A small business owner, you're constantly talking to people and as you're trying to scale, that becomes unscalable when you're talking people to people one-on-one and explaining what you do, start from ground zero, So what I discovered along the process, I think this was the engineer in me, is reusability of content, right? So once I built this database of content, and now people say, hey, what about real estate pro for tax purposes? I'm like, wait a minute, let me send you this webinar. It's been done by my CPA. It's the authority on this. I'm not the authority. Let me share it with you so you understand how this works. 
Or if they ask me about syndication, I'll share a video that I've done on syndication. So for me, it sets me up to talk to my investors on a more personal and their goal basis rather than waste time on here are the fundamentals of syndication or here's a fundamental of how we operate apartments, whatever that might be. So it's kind of served a dual purpose. Uh, if, um, if that makes sense. And, um, what I wanted to share. Yeah, was, that, yeah, that makes sense. And, and it goes along with what you said, you know, you said there's no one right way. Yeah. Right? right. And you also said that you wanted to bring it to them and you wish that someone taught you certain things. So you took all of that and then said, you know, what were the things that I was missing that I really wanted? And you brought that to the people. Right. Right. And I think if everybody starts thinking that way about, let's say I got from place A to place B and I'm happy in B, right? I mean, I could quit today and I'll be fine, right? I don't need to do any of this. People ask me, why are you working so hard? Because now you're working on your passion and it's not about money anymore, right? It, it becomes about, hey, how am I going to help other people do what I'm doing? Because I see the pain. I know the pain. I've been there. So I think if everybody starts thinking like that, like, okay, where, am I, where was I? Where did I get? Now, how can I give back and help people who are in my position? Because I know the pain points. So I feel like if you want to bring investors, all of that's a secondary, right? If you solve pain points of people that people have, and if you add value to their journey, the business is going to happen. It's just about what you give and then you get. Right. So for me, that's been a huge learning process. And I started with um, Tampa, Ju January 2019, uh, when I met Rod Cleef. That was the event that triggered it all. Right. And Rod always insists on just add value to people. Forget what you're getting. Just focus on adding value. Right. And the rest will come. And I, I do feel like that is really if I have to distill down uh, my success or whatever I'm been through so far. I mean, there are people far more successful. That's one of the things about real estate I like. It's very humbling because you think you're successful, then you look up and you're like, okay, never mind. <laughs> I haven't done right. anything. It's, it's humbling, but at the same time, it's very collaborative, right? I mean, you have people that, you know, those people that you look up to, like, oh man, I haven't done anything. Um, but they're willing to put down a hand and like tell you how they got from where you are to right. where they are. And then you're doing the same thing to people that, you know, haven't even invested in their first deal yet, you know? And, and so it's, it's, it's a different industry from that perspective. Every other industry I've been in, it's been kind of, you know, cutthroat. Right. The people at the top don't want to share their secrets you know, with other people, but in this real estate world, it just seems like everybody is out to help one another because I, I guess for a number of different reasons, one, it takes a lot of people to do these big deals, Correct. you know, whether the number of different GPs plus, plus all the limited partners. I mean, there's a lot of people involved. And so that very well could be one of the reasons, um, to, I don't know. The people just seem like they have a heart for giving back, even after they become financially free. Um, I've interviewed so many people that I'm like, why don't you just sit on the beach? Yeah. Right. That's I real. Mean, you, you have enough, you have enough, but they're like, why, why would I do that? Like I have an opportunity to help other people achieve that. Right. 
And That's, honestly, at the end of the, the day, our life has to be meaningful, right? Doing things for myself or doing things for ourselves in general doesn't bring us as much happiness. Yeah, it's incremental, right? Yeah, you drive a nicer car, you get a nicer house, you um, everything becomes a little bit nicer, but it's not going to make you that happy for that long. Right. I agree. I agree. In the beginning, you may tell yourself you're doing it for your family, right? I'm providing for my family. I'm, I'm you know, fighting, kicking and scratching so that I ha- can send them to a better school or, you know, have them live in a better school district or, or, you know, whatever the case may be. But then after you get to a certain point, it really becomes other people. Yep. And that's where like so much joy comes in, mm-hmm. right? When you, when you help somebody else. Yeah, I mean, definitely we all have our family first and foremost. Like, you know, it's us, our families, you know, we we do it for others. But expanding, I mean, I think once your family is cared for and you're able to even impact your extended family, then it goes on to, okay, what am I doing? What's the bigger purpose of my life, right? I think we all thrive on when we are purposeful, we thrive. Um, Tony Robbins, I'm a big fan of his, right? He says... It doesn't matter how much money you make. I mean, the most, uh, you know, billionaire could still be very unhappy. And he calls it the science of success, but the art of fulfillment. And fulfillment is an art, right? We can make as much money as we want. Let's say I go tomorrow, sit on a beach. I'm going to be bored by day three, right? I don't know. (laughs) I don't think I could just sit around and do nothing. Right. It's just not in my DNA. I want to be doing something. I want to be purposeful. I want to feel like my life has a purpose. So for me, this is my purpose right now. And if that changes, it changes. I don't know. Right. Like we don't know what the future holds and I'm open to it. Like sure. I bring it. <laughs> bring, bring it on. Bring I'm ready on. for it. Hey, earlier you, you talked about something that I, I like you to, you know, talk to the listeners a little bit about is, you know, perseverance. Like, look, you, you went in first year, year and a half, like you were trying to get a deal and, and you were not successful, but you found a way to persevere. And I think that, you know, whether a listener is looking to get involved in real estate investing or scale up or start their own business or whatever the case may be, you know, it doesn't, like you said, it doesn't happen necessarily overnight. So how do you persevere? persevere in those difficult times to, to push past it and get through it? I think I always tell people, right? Like I was trying to do something that I wasn't good at, which was acquisitions. Um, again, you have to play to your strengths. Um, I feel like if one way doesn't work, maybe try another way. So let me give you an example, right? I was trying to do acquisitions. I was not really good at it. I didn't enjoy schmoozing with brokers. It's not my cup of tea. I'm not cut out for it. So when I looked at it from that standpoint and looked at, you know, multifamily, all of these syndications are a team sport. So then I started thinking about, okay, how could I do this differently? Obviously what I've been doing is not working. I mean, they say if something's not working, doing the same thing over and over again, it's just stupidity afterwards, right? So you have to think about (laughs) what is it that is missing here? Why am I not successful? Maybe I should be looking at it differently. So for me, that was sort of the wake up call where I knew what I was trying to do wasn't working for me. So I started looking at, okay, what are the opportunities that are out there, right? 
I mean, obviously all these people are doing deals and I'm not. So <laughs> I'm going to approach these people. Or in my case, it ended up that they approached me, which was a great thing. But I was also trying to see what else I could be doing, right? I was open to the possibility. So I think everybody who's feeling stuck should kind of, I mean, go to a conference, go wake yourself up doing something that you haven't done before, right? And people say, oh, I went here, I did this. Let's say you want to raise money, right? You keep going to these same conferences. You're not going to find money there because everybody's trying to do what you're doing. Go to a conference that you wouldn't otherwise go. I mean, I'll give you an example, right? I go to, I sponsor community events. Now, this is a pool of investors that is untapped, right? So I can't go to an investor, real estate investor conference and get the same pool of untapped investors. So I feel like when something's not working, change it up. Try something else. What else could be doing? And that's when your creative mind comes into my play. It's about what you're going through and not what you are. Someone else tells you to go through, right? Like think, put put on a different, do something different. Go go to a conference which makes you think again, gets you out of the rut. And I feel like when you're in the rut, in that roller coaster, you cannot be creative. You can go take a vacation and start over, refresh. Think about what else you could be doing, you know, when you feel like that frustration. I, I love that you talk about that creative mind. You know, when I think of cre- creativity, I think more of artists and musicians and, and actors and actresses. And, um, but really, you know, in business, there's a lot of creativity mm-hmm. that can happen. And, and um, you also said, you know, go on vacation or, or, you know, I would liken it to you get someplace where you can think, Yes. you know, where you can think about um, answering some of those questions that you pose to yourself. Like, what can I do differently? You know, who can I meet that's different? You know, what, what are my strengths, you know, and how can I play up to those strengths? Um, those are all fantastic questions to ponder for yourself um, to go after it. So I love that. Um, you know, a lot of people, you know, when I interview them, they have a thousand or 2000 or 3000 units, you know, to listeners, it just sounds like, well, those people are different. Mm-hmm. Those people, you know, they, it was just, whatever it was just handed to them or they had the experience or they had the background or they had, but like we all, started with one investment, right? You, you had that one co-GP opportunity and then all of a sudden it felt good and you, you then continued on with that. So um, what about being a woman in the business? Hmm. What's your perspective on that? Uh, it's been a definitely interesting, right? I was um, a woman in tech, again, underrepresented women are really underrepresented in tech so from that standpoint it was nothing new to me i always joke right you go to these tech conferences real estate conferences you know the restrooms for women there's no line the restrooms for men has a line <laughs> outside so you know you know where what the demographic it's a little like di- right little there. different than going to the mm-hmm. uh the watering hole right, right like going right. to a bar like exactly and it's the opposite right 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 so so you kind of know where and what the representation looks like and also um i think there's a lot of sexism uh in real estate 
for example, right? I used to be flipping, not necessarily flipping homes. I would fix up, I would buy fixers. I bought homes in auction and I used to fix it up. And at that time I was dating someone, uh, he was a big guy and we walk into this uh, house, you know, and the contractor immediately turns to him and starts talking. And he had nothing to do with this. He was just accompanying me to this house, right? And it just shows to, uh, speaks to how society is even today because they naturally assume that he's in charge and I'm just following him around, right? But I was paying them, I was doing the rehab. So, I mean, that's just a small example, but I've seen it every step of the way. And I think you get underestimated a lot as a woman in the business. Doesn't matter what you do, whether it was tech or whatever, you always have to speak louder, be out there. Um, you know, I mean, today is International Women's Day, right? And I, I made this posting about women's rights in um, the timeline of women's rights over the years. And one of the things is we didn't have right to vote. We didn't have so many basic, what we consider today basic rights. So for me, um, I, I thrive on this brand of authenticity. I'm just going to be fearlessly authentic. And I don't give a shit. I'm sorry, you can bleep that word if you need to. That's, that's okay, it's okay. <laughs> I, I don't really You're care. You're just being authentic. I know. I, I, I don't care, but I'll just be myself. And, you know, I've had a variety of experiences as a woman and my daughter comes back and gives me feedback about how someone did something to them, to her. And I always say, speak up, you know, just just go for it. It doesn't matter. Don't worry about what people think. And as women, I think we are especially sensitive to what people think and perceive of, our, of, our, of us, right? And I think, I don't know if it's age or whatever. I'm just immune to it now. I don't, I don't care. <laughs> and I think that's just helped me uh, move along very aggressively and just do things and say no to people. And I think that's a skill we all, men, women, we need to learn more of is to say more, no more often and know when you mean it. And all of that has been growth on my part. It's been learning from my part. I grew up in India where as a woman, there were certain things I didn't do and I couldn't do. Uh, I couldn't go out after six o'clock. That was the curfew in my house for a woman. If you're a wow. guy, you could stay out late. But once it got dark, you better be home. Right. I, I went back. I was 30 something and my mom still ensured that I was back home before 6 p.m. So that, that's, <laughs> that, that, that was a reality. It's unsafe for a woman to be out after that, after dark. Right. So those were all the things I grew up with. So for me, being in the country, this country and just experiencing a life as a woman is far more freedom than what I grew up with. Uh, but that said, sure. obviously, there are there are still blind spots. There are still places where I felt like mansplained in meetings, talked over, all of that stuff, right? I mean, that happens. It just happens. And I've learned to find my own voice. I've learned to speak up. I've learned to um, speak up when I feel confident about what I'm saying and that I need to have a voice in that in that conversation. Fantastic. Congratulations to you and to, to other people that you mentor. Um, you know, I tell my, my son and my, and my daughter, I said, you know, you've got to have thick skin in life, you know, and, and a lot of what you just talked about is just that. Like, you, you know, you got to have thick skin, like getting into your own company or in real estate investing, you're going to hear no, right? You're going to hear 
No, you're going to lose deals. You're not going to have people that don't want to partner with you. You're going to have, you know, you have to know that going in that you're going to have a bunch of no's, but you keep persevering to get that yes. And that, and when you get that yes, it gives you the confidence to keep going for the next one. You're right. You know, once that first yes comes in, it gives you, it boosts you up for the, for, for, for further. And even if you do have a setback, I think the fact that people see you and they recognize you as someone who's capable of something gives you a lot more confidence. I mean, of course you have that confidence within yourself, but it's also the supporting people. Like I, I know I have this lady in, um, in Florida, she follows me and she's, she always says, she sends a small note saying you inspire me or something like that. Right. It makes my day. Yes. It makes my day. It really does. So thank you, Christine, if you're listening to this podcast. <laughs> Uh, uh, fantastic. Fantastic. Um, yeah. So I think that it happens with women in the multifamily business is that in the beginning, there's, there's not that credibility that is automatically attached to you. You know, that story that you, you talked about you, with your ex-boyfriend, he was a big guy and he, all, he got the attention. But then once you do your first deal or your second deal, and then all of a sudden people start waking up and they're like, whoa, you know, what, what is she doing? Right. And, and I've seen you take off and I'm so happy (laughs) to see it. Um, and, and I love all the success that you've had this far. So, Hey, what would be your advice to somebody that's just looking to break in? Let's start with a, a passive investor and then also talk about somebody that is looking to transition from passive to active. So I'd say from a passive perspective, educate yourself, right? Uh, I see a lot of fear in investing. So where should they they educate themselves? Gosh, there's so many resources out there, Darren. I I feel like the last five years, there's more resources out there than when I started. Uh, There's just podcasts. There's just, I mean, you're welcome to my channel. You can go to Cherry Street Investor Education. Uh, you can watch Darren's podcast. There's so much out there, like bigger pockets, and I mean, there's just a dearth. Of, I mean, there's there's no dearth of information, right? But if you really want education in a more structured way, maybe you want to go to an investing mentoring group. Or I, I know in Austin we have multifamily uh, uh, meetups, right? Or whatever asset class you invest in, commercial real estate meetups. Those are great places to network with people, not only network, but also learn because most of those events, they will talk about something relevant to investing. So I feel like education or lack of it keeps people in fear. When you educate someone, they suddenly understand the risks and the merits of their investment, and it makes it a a little less intimidating to step into it as a passive. Now, on the active side, I feel like most of that is just fear of, oh, my God, like if you're raising capital, I don't want to take other people's money. That's the biggest objection that I've seen. I don't know if people will give me money. So all these fears actually keep you from actually even trying it out. So I I, lo- I heard this on some podcast, and I don't even remember which podcast. And they said, if you feel like you're afraid to take someone's money, Think of two things, right? The first thing is you're giving them an opportunity they wouldn't otherwise have. Reframe that thought as an 
okay, I'm asking people or begging people or whatever that word comes into your head. Uh, reframe that thought as I'm giving someone an opportunity to do something with their money, which otherwise they wouldn't have access to. And then think about how am I adding value to this person that I'm asking money from? It's a give and take. Life is a give and take, right? When I feel like I'm adding value to someone, I feel like they will come to me. I don't chase investors. I do not. I add value to their life. If they want to invest with me, they'll come. If they don't, I have people who watch my webinars for six months, a year before they decide to invest. I'm like, take your time. No, no rush here. No pushing here. You know, it's your call. You invest when you're comfortable. So, those two things have really worked for me, from both from a passive standpoint, removing that block of not understanding something and moving people from fear to understanding. Uh, that makes passive investors comfortable investing. And the second one is just, um, I'm kind of having a, having a blank moment here, but um, working on just okay. letting people take their time into getting, getting into an investment and presenting as an opportunity. Yeah. So you said a lot of good things there. I think that on the passive side, you know, the, one of the steps you brought up, it that has, it has no cost. Like there's, there are free meetup groups all across the country. So if you go on to your phone and you go into your apps and just download the app meetup, M E E T U P and then put in multifamily or apartment investing and, and most likely there's a free meetup group somewhere in your area, yeah. but it's scary going for the first time, you know, like you don't know anybody. You don't know if you're going to, if they're going to ask you all these questions that you don't have the answers to, but that's the first step in fear is, is breaking that down. And then when you get there, you'll realize one, you learn something and two, you know, if you went out and shook somebody's hand, you most likely met somebody that was very genuine and, and nice and wanted to help you. Um, but that fear can hold you into your house. You know, get out there and take that first step. And then that gives you the confidence to go do the next thing. Absolutely. The other thing you've talked about now on the, on, the, um, on the GP side, on the active side, you, you hit it on the head. I mean, r raising capital is the the piece that, and that's the piece that you love, right? That's the piece that you love. Um, but that's the piece that so many people fear. And I think that that, that switch of, I'm not looking to get people's money. It's you're presenting an opportunity. And I know I've been a passive where, you know, I put a hundred grand into a deal and I didn't do anything in that deal. And then all of a sudden I, three years later, I got my hundred grand plus another hundred grand. I'm like, that was pretty cool. Yeah. Right. Great. And if you're doing that for other people, you're helping grow the wealth of other families. So, you know, and what the other thing I found is that there were certain people that I thought were no brainers that would invest that did not mm -hmm. for one reason or another. Mm -hmm. And then there were some people that I was like, you know, this person most likely is not going to invest, but I'm like, I got to at least give them the opportunity. And then that person's the one that's like, Hey, teach me more. Yeah. Like, and they, and they invest. It's like, you, you can't make that decision for them. You need to present the opportunity and let them make up their mind whether they're ready or not. Right. 
And uh, the other thing I want to speak to is also as an active, right? I mean, capital raising is not for everybody. Maybe that's not your strength, right? Again, leverage your strengths. If you enjoy the operations part or the acquisitions part, focus on that. Uh, this is a team sport. Find someone else to do the other things that you don't enjoy doing. I don't feel like you have to push yourself into a, a, a specific bracket or a bucket just because you have to. I mean, you can just focus on one thing that you're good at and let some figure out a team or pull partners together that are good at other things. So don't try to be a jack of all trades, you know, just focus on what you're, your lane, right? What you're good at. Absolutely. That's great, great, great advice. So what's your, you've done so much thus far, what's your next big kind of stretch goal? I think the we, next- We talked goal, about having goals, so- yes. Yeah, so the next goal, I mean, it's every year, I mean, I focus a lot on capital and talking to investors. So next goal for me from an investor standpoint, and it has been this goal, right? I, I started with multifamily, I moved into land development. Now I'm doing new construction with partners, of course. Uh, and now I'm looking at senior living. So I really like senior living from a long-term standpoint. I feel like it's an asset class that will have a lot of growth in the future, in the next 10, 20 years. So I'm hoping that I'll transition there. And I'm already working on a project uh, that I haven't announced yet, but I feel like that's sort of my progression right now. So I'm looking at, I'm constantly looking at you know, yes, multifamily is getting really squeezed uh, from a cap rate standpoint. Returns are becoming harder. So where should I put my investor dollar? So at the end of the day, I'm working for my investors. They are my number one priority. And I'm looking at where is their best use of money and what is the lowest risk that I can take, what asset class or where it's going. So I like land because land development, a lot of people don't understand land is not about buying land and just waiting for something good to happen with the land, you actually add value to land. And the way you do it is the entitlement process. There's a lot of um, appreciation of land just with the entitlement process without even counting on market appreciation. So that's kind of what I found really interesting when I got into land. And I feel like there's some things that land doesn't work very well where it is no depreciation right? Because it's it's just land. Land doesn't depreciate. There's no cash flow because generally land investments, you just have a lock-in high equity growth that we don't see in multifamily. But it's great for people who want to grow their equity, but not for cash flow. So I'm kind of looking at, okay, where am I going to find that cash flow if multifamily is getting squeezed, right? So I like senior living long-term. So I'm hoping to hang my head there. And that's kind of what's my goal next. And obviously my Raises have been going exponentially to X every year. So <laughs> I'm just trying to keep up with the pace and hire more people and expand my team and scale this better. Uh, so I have joined a business coaching program to figure out how to do that because I think I've just been winging it so far, you know, just figuring out things as I go along. But I think I'm at that stage of I've done enough winging it. Now I need to rely on real help. <laughs> so, yeah. Well, that's, that's fantastic though. It's like every level you get, there's like another challenge ahead of you. And, and one cool thing about real estate is like, it's all in your mind as to what you, what you can go after, you know? So you start with single family, you do multifamily, then you do big multifamily. Now you're doing land and new development. You're looking at senior living. You know, sometimes I'm, I look around and I'm like, 
look, somebody built these skyscrapers, mm-hmm. you know, somebody built these huge, you know, shopping centers and, you know, why not me? Why not you? Why not? You know, so there's, there's so many different avenues to, to go in and to stretch. So I, I like that. And you're the first person that has said that they want to do um, senior living that I've asked that question to. And, and um, I know, I know a few people that already do it, but in terms of wanting to get into that business, and I think there's a lot of growth in that, in that mm-hmm. business moving forward. Um, hey, what do you like to do outside of work? Fun. I like to dance. I'm a salsa dancer. I have been dancing since, ah. oh, what is it, 2007? Yeah, a long time. And I go out every week. And earlier I used to go out twice a week. Maybe next year I'll be an empty nester. I'll be dancing more. But right now I just dance one day a week. I go out religiously. It's my de- de-stressor when I'm in town and not taking vacations. I always dance. I like hiking. I like being outdoors. It, it kind of totally resets me. Um, just love. I've seen pictures of you in social media with riding the bike. Mm-hmm. Yes, bike you were doing well. some kind of, some kind of race yeah, or whatever. I was MS-150. MS I'm actually signed up this year, but honestly I've been, uh, I got COVID. I was a little sick earlier this year. So that kind of derailed my progress a little bit, but I did do like MS-150 is this ride between, Houston and Austin. So you ride with a group of people. It's over two days. You do 75 miles each day. It's an awesome, it's an awesome ride. It's a fun ride. So I like riding the bike. Um, I haven't done a whole lot lately because we've had so many cold spells in Austin, but I do have a Peloton at home and I like working out. I'm a, I'm a workout junkie. I need that high, (laughs) my, my endorphin, my endorphin high to keep going. So yeah, I have to hit the gym or do something. I need to stay active. That's fantastic. Hey, so if li- listeners want to get a hold of you, what's the best way for them to learn more about you and, and um, possibly get a hold of you? Sure. Uh, they can go to my website, uh, Cherry Street, like Wall Street, cherrystreet.us. People always look at, for some reason, they Google me as Cherry and it doesn't pull up necessarily. So it's <laughs> Cherry. Oh, you have that Cherry because my logo has two cherries in it. So they always say, you have that cherry business, right? <laughs> I'm like, no, I don't do cherry business, but <laughs> yeah, okay, that works. Uh, so it's Cherry Street. It was the first apartment I lived in in College Station was on Cherry Street. Uh, so it kind of signifies my journey. Gotcha. Uh, when I started doing apartment investments, I was like, okay, what am I going to call my company? I mean, Cherry Street sounds like a good name. <laughs> so cherrystreet.us. Yeah. It actually redirects to cherrystreetinvestments.com, but yeah, either one, either one works. And uh, you spell out street? Yes. S-T-R-E-E-T. Cherry Street. Cherrystreet.us, yeah. Fantastic. Well, Kavita, I really appreciate you coming on. Um, It's been awesome um, watching all your success. And uh, listeners, I hope that you enjoyed that one. Until next week, sign off. Thank you for listening to Darren Batchelder's Real Estate Investing Show at darrenbatchelder.com. If you liked the episode, please provide us with a five-star review on Apple Podcasts or your podcast platform of choice. If you already provided us with a five-star review, then thank you. And please share the show with a friend. 